Welcome to the Creative Giant Show, where we go behind the scenes about what it means to live a life full of creative and professional success. Creative giants are talented, renaissance souls with a compassion-fueled bias towards action. Now, here is your host, Charlie Gilkey. All right, everybody. This is Charlie Gilkey from Productive Flourishing. I am super excited to have with me live in the office Steve Airy from runforward.me. we got a great story um, just around change and, a, and just a really cool project. And, you know, Steve has been a long-term creative giant with me. He's been, um, he's worked with me in the past. He's been a good supporter and I just love the work that he's doing. So, Steve, thanks for joining us today. Complete pleasure, Charlie. All righty. So, um, I'm just going to kick it off this way. Tell us a bit more about runforward.me so that um, people understand what the project was. Mm-hmm. And then we'll talk about the backstory behind okay. it. Okay. So, the, the project run for me really came from um, a chronic illness that I've had for some time which can make the most basic things really challenging, like running for sure, which is pretty much impossible, and even walking. You know, there are days where um, walking a few meters just has me out of breath, wanting to throw up and sleep for a week. So run for me is really about doing uh, a walk or a run for charity for people who can't. Hence the, the title run for me. So I did, um, I set myself a challenge back in, it was December of 2012, where I kind of really decided to go for it. And it was to, to try and walk a marathon, um, for a UK based charity, uh, for CFS ME. Um, and as I said, you know, there are days where walking a few meters just lays me out completely. So I, I couldn't really conceive of walking 26.2 miles. That was, it was pretty much impossible, but it was something that I set out to do. Um, started training in January um, of this year, and then I did the marathon uh, on June the 9th this year, and somehow managed to, to, to walk all 26.2 miles, which I, I honestly didn't think would be possible in, in any way, shape, or form. Um, the most I had done in training was 13 miles, which was which I was pleased as punch with. Um, it laid me out for about four weeks afterwards, that 13-miler, um, which threw my training, of course, so I didn't really have a chance to do more than that. So, you know, I, I figured if I could do 13 miles on the day, on June 9th, then that would be something. Um, if And every mile, every half a mile, every 100 meters past that would be a bonus. But yeah, somehow managed to keep on putting one foot in front of the other, which was by the end, the, the pain was, uh, was pretty extraordinary, but yeah, 26.2 miles. And then I went home and passed out. All right. So to catch, <laughs> to catch people up, um, CFS ME, explain both of those terms. So it's, it's a really misunderstood illness, um, chronic fatigue syndrome or myalgic encephalomyelitis, I think it's called which is a bit of a mouthful. Um, some people don't think they're the same thing. There's a big debate about CFS is this, ME is this, they're not the same. Um, I'm not really interested in that debate. I don't think it's useful. Uh, but essentially, it's a chronic illness where um, your body doesn't produce or sustain energy. That's kind of it in a nutshell. People don't know what causes it. Um, 
a lot of different doctors, a lot of different research is, is going on, but there are so many different opinions about what it is, where it comes from. You know, it's a retrovirus. Some doctors believe it's all in the mind still. Um, some people think it's uh, a failure of the cell mitochondria, which are the little batteries in each cell. Um, so there's, there's widespread misunderstanding, widespread confusion. Um, and in the meantime, it's, it's affecting millions of people globally. It's killing people. Um, there, and, and, and the debate about it, I don't think is, is helping. There's a lot of infighting, even amongst people who have CFS and ME about what it is or how people should perceive it or talk about it. Um, you know, if, if people heard me say that, it's all in the mind. I would get lambasted. You know, I would get, I would get crucified by other people with the illness. Um, I think for sure there is a, a, a mental aspect to it, but for sure there's a physical aspect too. Um, so everyone has a different view about what it is, but the, the impact of it is pretty chronic. Um, it, the, the list of symptoms are, are many and varied, but include, kind of constant muscle pain. Um, one of the theories is that it, because your body doesn't produce or sustain energy, um, your organs slow down. So your heart beats slower. Uh, so there's less blood flowing around your system. So there's less oxygen to your muscles and to your different organs. So that means your, your muscles are, are just kind of uh, overproducing acid, um, less oxygen. So that equals pain. Um, it affects the liver, the kidneys, the, the lungs, the heart, the brain, the skin. Every organ is, is affected by it. So you have the, the, the chronic pain, which is, which is fairly constant. Um, and that can get so bad that it, it really, you know, painkillers don't, don't really dent it. Um, there's brain fog, which is, which for me is, is one of the most challenging aspects of it. And it's like this fog just descends over your mind and you can't really see or think clearly. Um, you can't crystallize a thought. You can't pull a distinct thought out and follow it through to a conclusion. So you just kind of operate in this murky twilight. Um, there's dizziness, there's nausea, uh, there's sensitivity to light and noise, um, digestive problems, constipation, there's, you know, the, the, there are many, many things at, at many different times. And sometimes it's all of those things at once. Um, but it's there every day in some capacity. Um, there's never a day where it's not present. You mentioned that the, the fog was mm -hmm. something that, that you find particularly challenging or mm -hmm. debilitating. What is it about your lifestyle and the mental fog that makes it so bad? I think because I, I love to, you know, I'm... I'm equal parts creative and logical. So I like to, to have an idea and then follow it through to a logical conclusion. And with brain fog, you can't really do either of those things. Um, ideas don't emerge from the mist. They're just locked in there somewhere. And if you kind of get a glimpse of something, it, it, you can't grab it. You can't pursue it. Um, so that's the frustrating part. One of the frustrating parts for me is not being able to, to think through clearly, develop an idea, um, and follow a chain of ideas through to, to kind of tell a story. Um, I think that's, that's tough. And, and, you know, with, 
with writing and I, I write every day, whether I'm thick with brain fog or not. Those days where I'm sitting in front of the laptop and the brain fog's there and I'm trying to write, it's, it's like pushing treacle uphill, but you know, I still kind of force myself to do it. Um, because I don't like the alternative, I think. Yeah. Got a lot of sympathy with that, you know, with the accident that Angela and I went through last year. Granted, it wasn't CFS, but there was a lot of pain and there was a lot of just mental fog. And I found it so incredibly frustrating because not only are you locked out of your body in a certain way, you don't even have your mind to to seek haven into. It's kind of this vegetable blob (laughs) that knows that it's more than a vegetable blob. (laughs) Right. It, it, It just becomes this amorphous kind of thing that you can't penetrate or escape it's it's um yeah and and that i think you know i've read accounts of people with the illness um and it tends to be the the physical pain and the brain fog that really has people kind of at the end of their rope with this thing um and some some really heartbreaking stories you know just searching on tumblr you know you'll see blogs of people will with the illness who are just screaming for help like every single day. It's, it really is heartbreaking. Okay. So here you are, you've got CFS, right? Mm-hmm. You've got um, the code of extraordinary change mm-hmm. going on. You've got run for me going on. You've got right. the freelance writing work that you've got yeah. going on. And I, I've known you for years. And so I already know that you're crazy, but what, <laughs> what, what would make you crazy enough to just English, <laughs> you know, just yeah. English. And in case you're wondering, he is a very dapper Englishman. He's rocking, <laughs> he's rocking this beard that I have so have in me over right now. Uh, so, ladies, when you see it, you'll see what I'm talking about. Oh, but you've got all of that going on, um, and you decide to do this. Like, you decide to make it a personal challenge to do it. Like, why? I. It's a really good question, and I, I thought about it. Well, no, actually, I was just about to say I thought about it long and hard, but I didn't really. Um, I, I kind of put it off long and hard for a while, but I knew last, last summer that I was going to do it. Um, what I didn't know was what form it would take. Um, so it took me a while to figure out the, the form. Um, but I think, you know, I, I was diagnosed in 2008 and, and my experience with it started in 2007 and it's taught me a heap of stuff in, in the last five or six years. And I'm at the point where I can live and operate with the illness, having learned what I've learned about it. And so I, I figured because there are people who can't get out of bed, who can't work, who can't do anything, they can't shower by themselves. Um, because there are people in that condition and I'm lucky enough to be able to, to take care of myself and feed myself and work and laugh and hang out with good people. Um, that I kind of owe something, you know, I, I kind of have a duty to, to do something for the people who are lying in bed wanting this thing to end. So that was kind of my motivation because I, I know how deep it can go and how horrible it can get. Um, and because I'm able to, because I have the capability of doing something about it, I kind of felt duty bound to, to follow that up. So... Let's talk about the, so we, we've talked a lot about the start. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the middle of the journey because that's right. where things get really interesting. Yeah. So you start this thing in January, you uh-huh. say, you start training. What was training like for you? 
Um, training was was really hard. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I guess I was starting from a place where I knew I, I was had some physical capacity. You know, if I was bed bound, there would be no chance in hell. Um, but you know, I can walk to the store and get groceries, and I you know I can do that kind of stuff. Um, albeit sometimes it's really challenging. Uh, so you know, I started off really easy, literally just doing half a mile, a mile, and doing that. You know, every every weekend. So kind of once a week, I'd do a mile walk. Um, I got up to uh, when it was it, when it came up to sort of three miles. That was a point where I noticed at the three mile mark, um, I could really feel it, and. At that point, I could literally, well, not literally, but I could hear my body saying, okay, Steve, stop it now. That's, that's enough. Um, and symptoms were starting to come out. I would be really dizzy at three miles. Um, I could feel, uh, it was like my legs weren't really there at three miles. There was, it was just like jelly or walking on, uh, on custard. You know, it was, it was, um, there was no solidity to, to any step. Um, and then I kind of kept on walking. Um, it was, I think it must have been around March where I got up to five miles. And I was pleased as, as 10 men to, to hit five miles. That was kind of a milestone point. Um, and, uh, and then at that point, the payback hit me. Because um, uh, one of the, the symptoms or one of the ways CFS works is everything is post-exertional. So you don't get the payback until days later. Um, and because I built up a certain amount of momentum, you can kind of ride that momentum for, for a little longer. But at some point, everything you do comes back tenfold. So that five mile thing was really the straw that broke the camel's back. Um, and there's, I think there's actually a video of me uh, on the blog where I'm kind of... <laughs> A little bit delirious, um, sort of with the payback from the five miles and just trying to describe what it felt like. Um, but yeah, it, it, it was like being beaten with shovels is the, is the only way I can describe it. Literally like some bad men in balaclavas come around your house and, and beat you with, with shovels. Um, so that laid me out really and that put a stop to training for about three or four weeks. Um, and I was still working during that time, which slowed me down even more, you know, so I, I, I uh, sometimes am, am my own worst enemy, I think, but, um, never <laughs> hard to believe, hard <laughs> to believe. Um, but yeah, you know, and at that point when it, it does bite and it, when it bites hard like that, the only thing you can do is to do whatever you can to, um, to treat your body well so you can come back out of it as quickly as possible and actually not to put pressure on yourself to come out of it as quickly as possible. So there's kind of a, uh, an, a, a strange, um, duality to that. You know, you want to be rid of that payback, um, and that dip, but you also know that it's okay while you're in there. What did your doctors and medical team think about this? Um, I, I have a, I'm lucky enough to, to have a great clinic in London that I go to every month. Um, and I went to see the head honcho there, 
um, who actually is, is part of the, the Queen's team of physicians. So that's, you know, some, some good hands I, I'm in there, I think. Um, and I mentioned to this guy, um, a German doctor, um, who's one of the experts on the illness in the UK. And I said, look, I'm, I'm thinking of doing this marathon walk. Um, just wanted to kind of run that by you and see if there's stuff I should do, shouldn't do, anything I can do that might ease uh, the payback. Or should I just even not think about it? It's crazy. Um, and he, he said to me, Steve, of course you can do a marathon. That was the first thing out of his mouth, um, which kind of rendered me a little bit speechless. Because I, you know, I've seen people in that clinic who were um, in wheel in wheelchairs on crutches and hobbling around, you know, barely able to lift their head. Um, and then I'm telling him that I want to do this marathon, and he says, "Yeah, go for it. Of course you can do it." Um, and actually, there was a there was a thought in my head saying, "Well, who the hell are you to tell me I can walk a marathon? Don't you know I'm ill?" <laughs> yeah. Like, aren't you supposed to be sitting there telling me not to do it? I thought that was my get out clause. You know? <laughs> so I was like, damn, I'm, I'm, I, I don't have a reason not that to was do this. My last line of defense, like, gone. Um, but, you know, he was incredibly supportive, and I got into their physio team as well. Um, so I had regular, regular checkups with, uh, with that team. And, uh, and I think that was kind of the, the full steam ahead that I, I needed really, you know, that was kind of, there was no reason why I couldn't certainly pursue the training and give it my best shot. Um, but even then, you know, even through the training and even hearing what, what the doc said, I still didn't think it would be physically possible, um, to do, to do the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. May I share some of our prior conversations? Yeah, yeah. Go for it. So I was talking to Steve about this. I think it was in February. Mm-hmm. And one of the things in which you were most scared about was um, putting the story out there saying, this is what I'm doing. And then mm. seeing that, you know, three miles was the limit. Like, because right. you, you were at this point in which I think you had just found out from that doctor that, yeah, yeah, you can do it. <laughs> and so I remember there being some tension is like... <laughs> So he said I can do it, but I don't yeah. know that I can do it because at the time I remember you talking about just going down and getting on the subway mm-hmm. um, was was just a challenge for mm-hmm. you, right? Like that was the journey of the day. Right and now you're talking about 26 miles, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm kind of shaking my head because I I remember that clearly, and the, and the the decision I kind of had to make was, you know, if I put this out there that I'm, I'm setting myself this challenge. And then, you know, a month in, I say, look guys, it's not going to happen. I've done five miles, but now I'm on my knees. Um, you know, that's, that's not a compelling story. Um, that's not a happy ending. That's, you know, that's really not, not a great story. Um, so that was one of the concerns I had is, is, you know, not only, attempting this to help people with CFS, but making it a compelling story so that people kind of could get into it and start to understand what the illness is and how it works. So it was, it was really an, an awareness building thing for the illness, as well as raising funds and getting research um, 
out of the back of it. And I think understanding that, that it was really about telling the story of what it's like to do physical stuff with the illness. And actually that's an end in itself. Um, so that, again, that kind of made it okay to just tell the story and whatever happens, happens. So let's talk details, nuts and bolts real quick. How did you share the story of Run For Me? So there's, um, there's a site out there, uh, just a Tumblr blog, really simple. It's on runfor.me. Um, that's 4-F-O-R. Can't stand those uh, abbreviated letter number combos. It's just not um, proper. It's the Englishman in me. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, a, a properly punctuated text message. I love a properly punctuated text. Anyway, um, so it's on run4.me. Um, there's a heap of uh, video updates and, and kind of training updates that tell us the whole story from January through to June. Um, it's kind of been dormant since then and kind of the point I'm at now, uh, having posted the final video, which shows you the marathon itself, um, is kind of wondering if and how and when I can scale that up. Um, you know, I don't think it's a one-time thing. I think it would be odd to do that and just leave it. Um, say, well, okay, that's that done. I raised a bit of cash. A um, couple more people know about the illness now. Great, I can go and do what I do normally. Um, feels like a bit of a cop-out. So I need to figure out a way of uh, doing something similar but different and scaling it. So we, we talked about the early parts of the middle. Mm -hmm. you, you alluded earlier that you got the 13 miles, mm -hmm. and that was huge. But that also suspended your training after yeah. that. So how do you go from a 13 mile, like you're done, right, to doing 26.2 miles a day of? <laughs> yeah. Um, man. It it, you know, I think it was it really. I couldn't have done it without having learned what I've learned about the illness. So in a really strange way, the illness made it possible to do that. If that makes any sense. Tell me more. Um, okay. So, I mean, I think this, the kind of story that I went through um, from when I was diagnosed in 2008 um, and my GP saying, Steve, you got this thing, uh, didn't give me any help or support at all. And my first reaction was, okay, great. So I've got this chronic illness thing. Fine. I'll beat it. Um, I'm not going to let it win. I'm not going to let it stop me. I'm, I'm, I'm all over it and I will end it, you know? <laughs> um, so I went through a good couple of years with that kind of frame of mind. And every time, um, and I tried lots of different things. I tried physical therapies. I tried, I've spent thousands of pounds on supplements and different therapies and and my god if i could get <laughs> if i could claim that back somehow i i'd have a a, a big party um here in portland in here in portland um so you know I, I pursued all sorts of different avenues and dead ends to try and put a stop to this thing and it was when i i got into um a meditation practice 
with some other folks and they were asking me, so what, what's, what's it like? You know, why are you here? Why, why seek meditation as a, as a, as an avenue, as an interest, as a pastime? And in starting to talk about CFS, my eyes would well up and I would just get this, this immense emotion coming out of me. And I thought, shit, what the hell is going on with that? You're English. I mean, that's <laughs> right. I, I mean, there is that whole stiff upper lip thing with, with us stiff upper lip Brits. <laughs> um, and it was very much, you know, I had completely internalized the whole thing and just used strength and bluster as a way to kind of muddle my way through it. Um, but there I am as this, as this confidence coach who's, you know, teaching people how to embrace emotion and live confidently and live honestly and, you know, confront the, the, the crap in their lives. And here I am getting teary at a simple question. And I thought, holy shit, what am I, what have I been doing? Um, so that kind of started a shift in, in how I saw the illness. And, and from there, I really started on the road to, to integrate it to not push it away, to not live in spite of it, um, but to live with it and bring it in uh, and kind of be friends with it. And so that was really the only way that walking a marathon was possible. If I had fought it every step, I'd have been screwed. I, I, would, I would probably be in hospital now, I don't know. Um, but... I was just really mindful, particularly after, you know, 15, 17 miles, um, that the way my body is, isn't the way my body is, doesn't have to dictate my experience. And it literally took every ounce of strength to keep remembering that. Um, because my brain was kind of powering down my legs were shot to pieces um, different systems were just kind of in chaos physically. Uh, and I was getting more and more delirious because there was just no juice getting to the part of my brain that could think deliberately and purposefully. So I really had to, to work harder than ever to, to remember, to, to be mindful. Um, and to remember that I got to choose how I looked at each step I was taking rather than have each step I take determine how I felt. So I think really, you know, that's why I say that the illness helped me walk that marathon because without what it's taught me, that would have been impossible. Okay. Oftentimes when we start journeys like this, we think that the first journey is the biggest journey. Mm -hmm. And in this, in this case, to speak less, you know, metaphorically, you think that the walking the marathon <laughs> is the journey. Like that's the yeah. thing. But as you just alluded to earlier, it seems like now that was just a part yeah. of the bigger journey. What what do you think? I mean, you mentioned that you need to think about what's going to make it scale, mm -hmm. what's going to make it enduring, so on and so forth. But what's close to the motivation that got you started in the first place? Like, where's the juice now for you besides thinking, taking it to a grander stage, but just that heart piece of it? I think it's, you know, when I, I talk about how, me, me and the illness and it's it's weird to talk about it in the third person like that um but it it's i think it's useful in in terms of conversations like this to to abstract it a little bit um so i talk about 
my experience with the illness is, is kind of like being on a road trip. So we're in this car, we're sitting in the front seats, we're barreling down this, this beautiful road, going somewhere, we don't know where, but we're just hanging out, going on this road trip together, laughing, you know, and, and sometimes if you're on a trip like that with one other person, you're going to piss each other off. Right? You're going to get on each other's nerves and do things that, that rub each other up the wrong way. Um, but essentially, you're in it together and you help each other out. So where we're heading, I really don't know. But what that little, that kernel, that core is about taking a trip in that manner. So, you know, that the illness helping me out and me helping the illness out. So that's kind of, there's much more for me to learn about it. And I, you know, I've kind of scraped the surface of what it's got to teach me. And it feels like there's just more depth that it's got to, to open up. Um, so that's kind of my personal journey with it. There's, there's more for me personally to, to learn. Um, but then that's going to make it, I think, more important for me to, to give something back, you know, to just do that and be selfish about it would just kind of, yeah, I don't, I don't like that as a, as a route. It, it, cause it's, it's not, what it's teaching me is that it's not about me, essentially. Um, it's about, it's about value and, you know, it's all those things that, that as entrepreneurs we embrace. It's about value and service and contribution. Um, so it's kind of, yeah finding ways that I can embrace those things to be of service and value to other people with the illness. That's an interesting road to be on. Yeah. This is an interesting aside. There's a nice double entendre with it's not about me. Right. Um, because anyway, something, right. something to think about on yeah. that one. Yeah. Um, whereas the first site's about run for top. Right. The, the second part of the journey might be, it's not right. about me. Yeah. In the, in the, in right. the, do way of thinking yeah, that's about interesting. That. Yeah. So, what can we do to join you on the journey now? Oh man! Well, um, in the short term, I'm looking to get as much awareness and fundraising going as possible. So, if you head over to runfor.me, um, the whole story is up there, right from my very first walk right up to the delirium at the end of the the marathon. And of course, I'll link to both the beginning, but especially the delirium. <laughs> Um, when, we, when we post this, um, I think I, I can't remember if I had the beard or not at that time, but um, I, I might be sawn beard, but nevertheless. Um, so please go and visit that, and if you can spare a couple of bucks, um, it will make a difference to people who who can't take care of themselves and who can't get out of bed. Um, and that's you know those are the people that I'm trying to help here. Um, so that's that's the best way. Uh, and you know what? If you've got any um, uh, any thoughts, uh, then then absolutely bang me an email. All my details are on that site as well. So get in touch. Let me know if there's something I can do for you, um, or if you've got an idea about how it might be, or what might be next for this kind of project, or what we might look at next on the road. Yes, people, you just heard it. Englishmen ask for help. Believe it. Or oh not, my God, that happens. 
It's a first. It's a first. <laughs> so again, this is Charlie Gilkey from Productive Flourishing. Again, I've had Steve Airy. You can find him on Twitter at Steve Airy, E-R-R-E-Y. Thanks so much for sharing your Completely story with us. my pleasure. Thanks and, for, um, for having me. Look forward to seeing where it's going. You bet. All right. Thanks for listening to The Creative Giant Show. To find more tools and inspiration for creative giants, head on over to ProductiveFlourishing.com. Stand tall, creative giant.